Welcome to the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast, your place for positive, uplifting messages of hope. To learn more about the church, feel free to drop by fredericksdachurch.org. Decisions, decisions. If you've wondered how to know the will of God for your life, Robert Quintana shares a simple solution. If you want to know God, then you need to spend time with Him. Just like a couple gets to know each other by spending time with one another, the same goes with our relationship with God. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. I hate to start my sermons um, with such a downer text. But I feel that I need to remind you of this text, a text that we spoke about last week, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. I'm reading from the New King James Version, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. It says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. I really don't like this text very much. It points out a reality in my life that I really don't like to admit all too often. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I really dislike that word deceitful. Because what that means is, is that my own heart, what that means is that our hearts deceive us into believing one thing in leading us into a, in, in a direction that isn't right. And all the while we think that we're doing the right thing. The heart is deceitful. It lies to us. And so it lies to us. We think that the path that we're on is the right one. And all the while it's deceiving us. Another passage that I pointed out last week found in Proverbs you'd like to turn to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now see there again, I hate to start my sermons Um, you know, with such um, poopy facts, you know. It's such a downer. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm beating you guys down. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. There is a way that seems right for you, but that way will lead to death. I don't like starting sermons like this, but I think it's important for us to realize the disadvantage that we're at. The disadvantage that we find ourselves in. You see, because of sin, because sin is all around us, because we were conceived in sin, because we live in a sin-stricken world, our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And there is a way that seems right, but that way will lead to death. Now, last week, I pointed out that as parents, sometimes it's easy to see. You see your child making decisions that you think to yourself, oh my, that's only going to lead to pain. That's only going to lead to sorrow. That's only going to lead to, to uh, dissatisfaction. But in their minds, 
they're thinking, no, this is the right path. This is exactly what I need to do. This is what's going to bring me happiness. This is what I'm looking for in this relationship, in this career, in this job, um, in this school. This is what I need. And all the while, the parents are going, no, 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 that, that, that you don't have it quite right. But I, I've been there. I've, I've, I've done that. It, it only leads to pain. Turn away. Because if you maintain that path, it's only going to lead to death, destruction, sorrow. And I'd like to compare that to our relationship with God. You see, because God sees the big picture. And so God understands the paths that we're on. He understands the paths that we choose. And God understands exactly what decisions we need to make in order to avoid what I like to call life's minefields. And so he knows what direction we should take. And the question that I want to answer in this sermon series is how can we know the will of God? How can we understand his purpose for our lives? How can we understand his will so that we can understand what our purpose is and so that we can make the right decisions in life? I want to share with you real quick a passage in Obadiah. I want to plant this seed in your mind because I want you to understand where this deceitfulness comes from. The book of Obadiah, it's a small book towards the end of the Old Testament. These minor prophets seem to get lost sometimes. They're hard to find. Obadiah is found right after the book of Amos. Obadiah chapter 1 verse 3 will give us some insight as to where this deceitfulness comes from. Obadiah chapter 1, verse 3, right after the book of Amos. It says this, The pride of your heart has deceived you. The what of the heart? The pride of the heart has deceived you. And that is basically the definition of sin. The definition of sin is, in, is, is self, focusing on self. And so here in Obadiah says that the pride of your heart has deceived you. So put it this way. As long as the focus is on you, as long as the focus is self, as long as the focus is what's best for me, As long as you're asking yourself in this scenario, how do I get out ahead? What's the best scenario for me? As long as that is the attitude, you will be making poor decisions. You see, because when we look at the life of Christ, it was the complete opposite. Jesus wasn't out thinking, what can I do for me today? How can I advance today? What do I need to do to get ahead? No, what was Jesus modeling for us? He was modeling to us unconditional love, which is the opposite of pride. And that's why when you read the story of Jesus, all you ever see him thinking and doing is others. What can I do to improve their life? What can I do to bring them hope? What can I do for this individual so that I can lift them up? And that was the mission of Christ. The mission of Christ wasn't self. The mission of Christ was how can I help others? In fact, the whole reason why he came to planet earth was for what? To save us. The attention was us, not himself. 
And here in Obadiah, we read that the pride of your heart deceives you. And that is where this deception originates from. As long as the focus is on us, as long as we're trying to figure out how we can get ahead in life, you will be making poor decisions. I see this playing out in marriages all the time. As long as the attention is on self, you see that marriage on a downward spiral. Well, what can I get out of this relationship? Well, he, he doesn't do this for me or, or she isn't treating me right. And as long as the attention is on self and what can I get out of it, you see that marriage on a downward spiral as opposed to a marriage who is on an upward spiral and you see those marriages and all of a sudden the attention isn't on self. The attention is what? On the other person. What can I do for them? How can I make them happy? What can I do today to bring a smile to their face? What can I do today to make, to, to make them feel as though they are the one and only the most important thing in the world? What can I do for them? But as long as the focus is on self, you see that relationship going downhill And you can apply this principle to so many other areas in life, relationships with friends, relationships with family members, relationship with your church. As long as you're asking, what can I get out of it? As long as you're asking, what has the church done for me lately? That relationship is going to be going on a downward spiral. As opposed to changing the focus to what can I do for the church? How can I please God in my service to the church? And then you will see a relationship with the church and a relationship with God flourish and take off. But the pride, the pride, the pride of the heart deceives us. Now, see, you would think that I would spend the rest of this message talking to you guys about how we can rid ourselves of the pride of our lives, you know? Like give you kind of like a step one, step two, step three, or principle one, two, three, or this is what I want you to do to apply into your life so that the pride in your life you can kind of get rid of and, 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 you know, get rid of the pride in your life so that you're able to make the right decisions. However, I'm going to take a different approach, okay? So remember... The question that we're trying to answer is, how can we know the will of God? How can we know his purpose for our lives? Understanding that pride gets in the way. Hold that thought, and we'll come back to that at the end of the sermon, the end of the message. But you have to follow me here so that you can understand how this all connects. I want to share with you a little bit about my upbringing. I was born and raised in the wonderful, beautiful city-state of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. You know, I thought that was going to be the reaction, you know? Being Redskins and Raven country here, I didn't think I was going to get applause and woo, city of brotherly love. No, no. But I was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and yes, I am an Eagles fan. Don't hate me because of it. Hey, I was just born in Philadelphia. And uh, my family immigrated here from Cuba in 1971, and I was born in 1974. Woohoo! Celebration, we're in America. And I was born in 1974. I was born in in, in, in Temple, 
University Hospital, and I grew up in the city. I grew up in the city, your typical row homes, all right? My neighborhood didn't have that many trees. My neighborhood had a few bushes. Our backyard had a, a small garden that my mom would sometime plant some flowers. But I basically grew up in the city, and ironically, for some reason, ever since I was a little kid, I loved the outdoors. I loved the outdoors. And I, it just, I would watch pictures. Um, I would watch the Discovery Channel. Um, oftentimes, my folks would come in to the room and, and they, what are you doing watching rodeo? Like, I just loved the outdoors. I loved animals, anything that had to do with animals. The poor insects in my backyard. That was like as much wildlife as I got. I mean, I just, I, I, I loved the outdoors even though I wasn't exposed to much of it. I can tell you that one of my, my childhood most favorite memory is when our school went to the zoo. I went to the zoo for the very first time. And all of a sudden, all of these animals that I'd been seeing in books and pictures, all of these animals that, that I had, um, you know, so desperately wanted to see right there. Right before my very eyes, the tiger, the lion, the zebra, the giraffes. It was awesome. I mean, I remember that day as being one of my favorite days as a child growing up. The first time that I went to the zoo. Wasn't exposed to the outdoors, but yet I loved the outdoors. You see, you have to understand, I kind of grew up in a sub, sub, subculture of America. I mean, I remember... The first time I went to eat at a white folks' home, at a Caucasian home, and I remember that they, they put the spread on the table, and I, I'm not kidding you, all right? I remember thinking to myself, where's the rice? Where's the rice? Like for us in my culture, you have rice every day. Almost at every meal. And, and amen, that's right, brother. And, and the rice is like the main dish. And then everything else you add to the rice. And I'm thinking to myself, like, where's the rice? I didn't even know where to begin. Like, you know, just mashed potatoes and, you know, cottage cheese loaf didn't seem right without the rice. Just a, a very sub, sub, subculture. And that's why sometimes I get my idioms and my sayings all mixed up. I remember the first time I had hot chocolate, um, chocolate milk outside of my home and thinking to myself, all right, we're having hot chocolate milk. I see the chocolate. Where's the milk? Why are they boiling water? (laughs) I grew up. Hot chocolate milk was chocolate and Milk. Anyways, I was raised in a very um, sheltered environment, to say the least. And I remember just wanting to get out, wanting to experience the outdoors, wanting to, to see the mountains and the hills and the trees and the brush and the animals. I just, I remember longing for that. One of the animals that eluded me until the age of 22 was the sheep. 
the sheep. I'd been introduced to the sheep at Sabbath school. You know, the little felt that you put up as they're telling you the story of the shepherd and the sheep. You know, my mom used to be a Sabbath school teacher, so sometimes we would, um, you know, put the, the little legs and then a cotton ball. That was a sheep. And I remember thinking, like, I would love to see a sheep someday. But I was never exposed to a sheep. But yet you hear the Bible talk about sheep and shepherds, right? Uh, There's a passage in Isaiah that says, We have all gone astray like sheep. Man, I remember when I went to college and here I'm sitting in Bible class and, at, you know, and, and, and trying to get my degree and they're talking about sheep and, and shepherd and how Jesus is the good shepherd. And we, like sheep, have all gone astray, you know, and, and, and all this stuff. But I never, ever got to see a real live sheep until I was 22 years old and I went to visit a church member who had a small farm and they had... Um, some chickens, some roosters, a couple of goats. They had some llamas. And off in the distance, I spotted what, I, what looked like sheep. And uh, I'm looking, I, I'm, you know, my mind's on the sheep. I'm like, is that a sheep? You know, I want to see a sheep, you know. And uh, uh, sure enough, I said, uh, so what, what do you have over there? And uh, oh, those are just our sheep, like nonchalant, like no big deal, right? Oh, those are just the sheep. And I, well, can we go see them? Um, well, yeah, sure, if you want to see sheep. So here we go. And I'm all excited for the first time in my life I'm going to get to experience a sheep right there in front of me. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm walking in and, and there was some time during this whole experience that I remember them kind of looking at me a little bit weird like, you know, what's your fascination with sheep? But, you know, my background. I'd heard about sheep. I'd seen sheep in pictures, and I wanted to see a sheep. And so we get to the pen. They open the pen up. We, we walk in, and, and sure enough, sheep right there. And so I asked them, I said, can I touch the sheep? Well, yeah, of course you can touch the sheep. All right, all right. So, you know, very gently, you know, I, I you know, touched the sheep. On. It's like, Wow. That is soft. My first time ever touching a sheep. And you know how like when you have pets like a cat or a dog and you go to scratch it, you know, and you kind of scratch it like that. You know, I thought I could do that with a sheep until I realized how thick the wool is. And so, you know, I stuck my finger and I I kept on, you know, sticking my finger all the way in like two, three inches. I'm like, I can't even reach the, the body. There's so much wool here. It was awesome. I hate to admit this to you, but my fascination of sheep has kind of lingered on a little too much. Just last year at the Frederick Fair, I go with Heather and uh, we make our way around to the pens where they have, you know, the, the cattle and the goats and the sheep. I'm like, Heather, Look, sheep. And she's like, yeah, sheep. So I go up to it and I, you know, leaned over and I start, you know, petting it. Heather, come here, touch it. I've touched sheep before. No, come here, touch this one. Look how soft it is. I don't want to touch the sheep. No, no, really, stick your finger in the wool. I don't want it. So finally she comes over and she goes, 
There, I touched it. I'm like, no, touch it. Sheep, sheep, sheep. Now, I've done a little bit of research on sheep since that one time when I was 22 years old. I came back home after having experienced the sheep and I started to kind of read up a little bit, do a little internet search and try and read up a little bit more about sheep. I mean, after all, the Bible compares us to sheep. And so I start reading and I got to admit to you, I didn't like what I found. It wasn't very nice. It wasn't very pleasant. In fact, somewhat degrading. Did you know that sheep are among the dumbest animals in the whole wide world? Now, wives, please resist the temptation to call your husband sheep. But they're some of the dumbest animals on the planet. Some of the dumbest planet. And one thing that I, that I read that I thought was really, really odd is that sheep, if they fall over... Did you know that they cannot get back up? If they fall over because of their wool, they cannot stand themselves back up. They need a shepherd to go and physically lift them back up onto their feet. And here the Bible is referring to us as sheep. And I'm thinking, hmm, this is interesting. Did you know that sheep have no natural defenses. They have no way of defending themselves. They don't have any horns that they can ram someone with. They don't have any fangs or canine teeth that they can claw, that they can uh, bite into somebody. They don't have big claws that they can claw somebody with. They have no natural defenses. And if attacked, they just sit there, stand there, helpless. And unless they had a shepherd to guard them and protect them, they would have no way of protecting themselves. Did you know that sheep have a horrible sense of smell? So bad that they would that they would die of thirst with water just on the other side of the hill. And unless they had a shepherd to lead them to that water, they could die of thirst. Did you know that sheep have a horrible sense of direction? Now, husbands, fight the temptation to call your wives sheep. But they have a horrible, horrible sense of direction. If they get separated from the flock, they have no way, no how. They do not know how to get back to the flock. And unless there was a shepherd that could guide them from pasture to pasture, or unless there was a shepherd that can go out and find them, there is no way that they could find their way back. They have a horrible sense of direction. And here the Bible says that we are like sheep. I hope you've been making some connections to our spiritual walk and our spiritual journey. I hope that you've been making a connection with with the relationship that we ought to have with our Heavenly Father. 
But here's the deal about sheep. They have all of these disadvantages going against them, right? All of these deficiencies, all of these disadvantages. However, they have one advantage that cancels all of these other disadvantages. Did you know that they have one advantage that will, that will annihilate, will, will take care of all of these other disadvantages? And I'd like for you to read with me what that advantage is. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of John. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, starting with verse 7. I take you there because for those of you that have Bibles with headings, what does your heading say? I'm sorry? The good shepherd or Jesus, the good shepherd. And you begin reading in verse 7 and Jesus starts to make this comparison about how we are like sheep. But most importantly, he's saying to us how he is the good shepherd. And so he goes on to talk about the hired man. That he says, I am much better than the hired man. Because see, I, Jesus says, I own the sheep. And hired men, well, when they come in, they don't care about the sheep. And if, if the hired man sees a wolf or sees danger, well, they don't care about the wolf. The, uh, the sheep, they'll run away. But Jesus says, no, no, not me. I'm the good shepherd. I stick around. I fight for my sheep. I stand up for my sheep. I will be there for my sheep through the thick and thin. I will lead them to pastures. I will lead them to water. I will pick them up when they fall. I will defend them when they can't defend themselves. I, Jesus says, am the good shepherd. But what is the one advantage that sheep have that cancel out all the other disadvantages that they have? The one advantage that they have, I'd like for you to read with me verse 14. Verse 14 says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. And here's the advantage. And what? Am known by my own. In other words, his sheep know Jesus. Let's read here verse 27. He puts it in different words. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You see, the one advantage that sheep have that cancel out all the other disadvantages is that they know their shepherd. And not only do they know their shepherd, but they follow their shepherd. They obey their shepherd. They humble themselves to the point where pride isn't an issue. And they humble themselves to the point where they will follow that shepherd wherever that shepherd leads. They will obey that shepherd wherever he sends them. The advantage that they have is that they know their shepherd. You know, it's interesting. I took a mission trip to the Republic of Georgia once. And in in these foreign countries, it's not like here in America where you have designated fields 
where you send out the, the cattle to graze or, or the sheep out to graze. No, no. Out in these countries, it's like a free-for-all. Like it's an open range wherever you go. It doesn't matter if you're like downtown. It doesn't matter if you're in the outskirts. You know, just the, 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 the livestock is just roaming freely. Sometimes through the streets. Sometimes you have to wait for, for a herd of cattle to cross the street. Well, I came across two shepherds over at the Republic of Georgia. Now, knowing my fascination with sheep, knowing that, you know, it was one of these things that eluded me for 22 years, and now I have the opportunity to talk to a real-life shepherd, I go up to these guys and I start talking to them. And with their broken English and, and my, you know, um, Spanish slash English slash whatever else. I'm trying to communicate with these guys. And how long have you been a shepherd? Oh, well, you know, I kind of grew up. My, my dad was a shepherd. And wow. And, and how, many, how many do you have here? And he says, well, I have about 50 here. And I'm like, but there's more than 50 here. And he's like, well, the other half belongs to my friend who, who was also right there. And I was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Wait a second. There's, there's two flocks here. One belongs to you and another one belongs to you. It's like, yeah, you know, that's normal. And I was like, well, what do you mean? How do you know which ones are yours? He says, well, I know which ones are mine. And now I just, I wasn't comprehending how they could just like be together. And, you know, what do you do when you go your separate ways? Do you have to like, you know, take one, this one's yours, this one's mine. No, that one's mine. Remember the black dot. You know, I was like a little confused. And I, I said to them, I said, I said, how do, how do you know which ones are yours and, and how, do they, how do they go with you, like when you go? And he says, you know, kind of like, duh, like, you know, he's been doing this all his life. He's like, well, they, they follow me. Like, they know my voice. And now, what do you mean they know your voice? You mean like you call them and they come like a, you know, a dog or it's like, well, yeah. And I was like, Still trying to comprehend this, and, and at that time, the, the guy that was talking to him, you know, kind of felt like, you know, it's time for me to move on, you know, this crazy American, <laughs> you know. And so he, he shakes the guy's hand in, in their own language. I'm sure they said, you know, something like, I'll see you later, whatever. And, and he starts to, to walk away, and he starts this call. And, you know, I can't mimic it to you, but it was something like, you know, you know, whatever, you know. Like, let's go, little sheep. I mean, you know, it's time to go. Would you believe it that right there, right before my very eyes, all the sheep that belonged to this one shepherd who was now walking away started to follow him. And, and, and though they were all integrated together, though they were all mixed together, you saw this one flock start kind of moving its way out from the other flock, following their shepherd. And before you knew it, the only sheep that were left were the ones of the one guy that I was talking to. The advantage that sheep have, that cancel out all the other, advan- all the other disadvantages that they have, is that they know their shepherd. Do you want to know, do you want to be able to make right decisions in life? Do you want to know the will of God for your life? 
Here's the secret. You have to know your Savior. You need to know God. In his little book, How to Know God's Will in Your Life. Now, that's a pretty good book if you ask me, right? Morris Venden writes this, and I'd like to read it to you here just briefly. In order to know God's will in your life, you must first know God. Let me read that again. In order to know God's will in your life, you must first know God. I wonder if the reason why we struggle with decision-making all the time, I wonder if it's because we simply just don't know God. Could that be it? Could, could, the, could the focus then need to turn from trying to decide to just trying to get to know God? I mean, I wonder what would happen if I'm faced with a big decision in life and instead of consuming my mind, my thoughts, my every waking moment and trying to figure out what I need to do, I wonder what would happen if I would just put that aside and just spend time with God. Spend time getting to know him. Spend time just, just, just for the sake of spending time with him and saying, God, who are you? What are you all about? Teach me about yourself. Teach me about your character. Teach me about your ways. Because I have a sneaky suspicion that if we do that, all of a sudden, the decisions that were so clouded in our minds will become clear. And we will understand the direction that we need to go. We will understand the decisions that we need to make. He says here in another part, For the one who truly is seeking to know God's will, there will be a daily seeking to know God. My friends, if we want to know the will of God in our lives... We must know God. Because in knowing him, we now understand his ways. We now understand what he's all about. We now understand exactly what decision he would make at any given time. If we spend time with him, guess what happens? The pride of our hearts fades away. The selfishness that we hold dear will grow strangely dim. As we get to know this God, as we get to know his love, as we get to know his grace, as we get to know his, his ways of forgiveness, as we get to know exactly what, what he's passionate about, and all of a sudden we fall in love with the God. We fall in love with him. And, and by doing so, the selfishness of our pride goes away and it becomes clear to us exactly what his will is. Now listen. Listen, I, I, I have to admit to you that I have a problem with messages like the one I just delivered. And the reason why I have a problem with it is because it's somewhat conceptual. You know, it, it's kind of a theory that's out there. And I'm not giving you like something that you can start applying to your life today. It's not, some, it's not like step one, step two, step three. It's not like I'm saying, look, let me give you an equation that you can plug in your scenario or whatever decision you're trying to make. And, and when you figure it out at the end of it, listen, at the end of it, it's going to equal your choice. I'm not giving that to you today. 
Now, next week, I'm going to give you some very practical, some very real questions that you can ask yourselves so that it can help you make some decisions that you may be facing today or in the near future. So next week, you don't want to miss next week because I'm going to give you some real practical things that you can apply to your lives to to arrive to the will of God. But for today's message, I need you to understand this one principle. I need you to understand this concept, this theory, that if you want to know the will of God, you need to know God. I've heard couples who have been married for a long, long time say, Oh, we've been together so long that I can finish his sentences. Heather and I, we've been married Uh, just shy of eight years, and it's amazing in just eight years how much of that happens. Honey, uh, Heather, what's the, don't worry about it, I paid it last week. Oh, all right, good. But that's because why? That's because we spend time together. That's because we know each other. And because we know each other, we know how, what, what makes each other happy. We know how to fulfill each other's desires and, and, and we know how, um, how things play out in our lives. We understand, we, you know, unfortunately, the, the, the flip side of that's true. She knows what buttons to push if she wants to get me mad. And unfortunately, I admit, I, I, know, I know to do the same thing. We, we don't want to go there. But what I'm saying is, if you want to know the will of God, then you need to know God. You need to spend time with him. However that happens in your life, it's so different for every one of us. We're all on a different journey. For some of us, is spending time in his word. For some of us, is prayer time. For some of us, is just spending time with other Christians or, or coming to church. However it is, we need to say to ourselves, I need to get to know God. Because the bottom line, if you want to know God, If you want to know the will of God, if you want to know how to make right decisions in life, you have to know God. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we, man, we need to spend more time with you. We need to get to know you. We need to prioritize our lives differently. We need to put you just a few steps above work and money and bills and we need to kind of put you up on the priority list god we need to spend time with you we all want to know what your will is for our lives we all want to be able to make right decisions in life god the bottom line is if if we want to know that we need to know you we need to know who you are by doing that the pride of our lives that deceives us will be wiped away It'll grow strangely dim. And then we can see clearly your will for our lives. God, be with us this week and remind us through the power of your Holy Spirit every day to spend time with you, to get to know you. God is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church would love to help you along the way. We are a family-oriented, grace-filled church serving the Frederick, Maryland area. You can feel free to learn more about us at frederickSDAchurch.org. And for more podcasts, click on Sermon Audio.